Oh, you're back, Dennis. Nice to see your face again. Uh, this time we're going to talk about the US Open draw because it uh, was out again two, two days ago or something like that. Uh, it's been analyzed by some players. I think we can have some maybe unique perspectives on it. So it would be interesting to discuss. I know you followed it pretty closely. And we have maybe, I would argue, the most open US Open and Grand Slam in a while. I think with no Novak not being there, Rafa being a bit of a question mark, Medvedev being a bit of a question mark, I, I don't know. It's not that easy to predict. It's we're very open on both the men's and the women's side. I don't know what you think about this year's US Open. Oh, yeah. Uh, so thanks for having me again. It's um, We really enjoyed the last one, so we thought that why don't we just do a, a rapid-fire second episode of, of this chat. Um, so, yeah, I think... I don't necessarily agree with how open it is. I, I, I read it everywhere and it's an interesting one because I think Medvedev will play good. I think Medvedev really likes these fast courts. Um, he is um, returning serves from, from literally the, the top row of, of the um, Arthur Ashe. Um, hmm. yeah. And I think, and I think Rafa is just, um, you know, Rafa is just Rafa. Like, no one actually thought that he can pull it off on the um, Aussie Open either. So, yes, uh, we will talk about it in more depth on on who, like, the, the certain quarters and first-round matches and, and, and what is, is going on and what we can expect to happen. But I, I just don't feel like, I mean, when Rafa is in a draw, and, and it doesn't matter, you know, look, he didn't look bad against Chorich. He, he looked quite okay. Yeah, he lost, but he usually loses in these games when it's not that important. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, we'll see. I think, I think while Rafa is in the draw, anything can happen. Yeah, I agree. Well, the most common thing that happens is that Rafa wins. <laughs> That's probably <laughs> the most common thing. And, uh, I mean, he has 23. Two, he's going for 23. He's going to have a lot of motivation now with no Novak. Then he gets up to uh, two ahead again. So in the Grand Slam race, the ever important Grand Slam race. So yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, you can never count out Rafa. He could be limping his way to the final and he's still like, you know, the most people's prediction to win because he's just has this mental, you know, superhuman strength that I don't, you think you see. I mean, you see it in Novak, you see it in Rafa, but otherwise you don't see that in many athletes, right? Overall in, uh, in sport. I think uh, he pulled out of uh, Wimbledon as well because he didn't think he can beat Novak in the final. Because I think he could have beaten uh, Nick, as I was talking about it in the last episode as well. I, I thought Nick wasn't playing that amazingly. He was good, but you know, I, I still stand by my, my opinion about Wimbledon. But I don't think he could have lasted two more matches. I mean, like his match against Fritz was something of a miracle, wasn't it? So yeah, I 100% I agree. There's a lot of good players. Like, you know, for example, I sort of feel like Fritz, he said it in an interview as well, that he feels a lot more confident of, of uh, getting a good result or reaching some sort of the semifinals, finals, now that Novak isn't in the draw. So uh, yeah, shall we talk about the quarters, you reckon? Yeah, we could do. We can start with the first first quarter which seems logical and uh, we have Medvedev there he's the number one seed uh, so he's playing Stefan Koslo it's 110 in the world all these uh, between 200 100 and let's say top 50 American players are are interesting because they come they they have quite a few good results then they just sort of disappear like you know 
we talked about Corda in the last episode. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he is obviously a bigger talent. You see like TFO, uh, who's, who's a great entertainer and he's a great player. But, you know, if, if you go like down, you just look at the rankings and, and you know, you just go through the whole, uh, I was looking at it yesterday. For example, JJ Wolf, who's mm. a great player. Mm. You know, really the, excited the to guy. watch. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> he, he caught that one, but now he's still playing in these... Uh, in this great, uh, he is sponsored by Grayson, which is funny because that their um, their logo is a wolf. <laughs> oh, wow! So, uh, so yeah, so it's um, and and my other uh, favorite athlete. I mean, he's he's my favorite golfer. Um, JT Justin Thomas is also uh, sponsored by by Grayson, uh, but now you can see a lot more of these uh, these sponsorships. Um, for example, Pospisil is now sponsored by uh, Penguin, like the, the, um, the gear sponsor. And also uh, Tomjanovic uh, is sponsored by Penguin. So, you know, more and more of these gear and, and fashion sort of brands like Uniqlo started the whole thing with Novak and H&M started it with uh, Burdick. And it was, it was a huge thing when, when Burdick came on with these flamboyant, crazy outfits and everyone was like, what is he wearing? What is that? What is that flowers on his shirt and that sort of thing? And so back to back to JJ Wolf, he's um, he's sponsored by uh, Grayson, and I think he's a pretty interesting player. Then you have Cressy, you have uh, Nava, Emilio Nava, um, who's also two hundred, and he got a wild card. So you know, ten plus players, ten plus players of of, of American talent, and you just don't know what to expect. You know what? I don't think their technique is that immaculate. They always, like, if you look at from Roddick onwards, they all have big serves. They all have a a massive forehand. They can usually volley pretty well, but something is always missing. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, except for maybe Fritz, which I think seems quite uh, multidimensional, but obviously shown that on the court. But I think it's also the kind of American style of college tennis uh, it's very baseline driven, kind of like bobblet spin from from the back of the court. Uh, not so much all court tennis. I would say Brooksby is a bit more of a Novak player, but you see the kind of same player over and over again uh, from the U.S. tennis camp. And now I think they're in the best position they've been in a long time because they have so many talents now. And uh, maybe Shelton is is a bit more powerful than the rest. But overall, you it it's you don't see anything completely mind blowing from usually any one of them you know they are very good players and steady but it's not something like okay this guy is gonna make it you know it's like almost the the french tennis curse they've had like they have all these talent and amazing flamboyant players and then they never really get to a slam final even you know but we'll see these guys now there are a lot of young ones playing at home i think there's uh, definitely some upsets that could happen i don't think kosla will beat medvedev though but i think there could be some other americans that make a good run in the draw right I think like the prototypical players for, for what you said, like, you know, journeyman who, who just played college and, and then, then became pro and that sort of thing. Two players who stand out for me, uh, Mackenzie McDonald, Mackie Maxter, and, and the other guy is uh, Giron. Um, both guys, I, I cannot watch them. I, I have to admit, they're so boring to me. They don't like they they can do everything okay, like mediocre. I mean, you know, obviously our our way is, is a bit different. Like they're unbelievable players. They have been in, in the top 50, top hundred for years now. But 
they're just boring to watch. And that's why, for example, Tommy Paul and the new generation, because uh, obviously McDonald and here Giron are a little bit older, but like Tommy Paul, Fred, Stiafo, all those guys are pretty good to watch. Like there's there's something going on there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the entertainment factor is very important in tennis. I think it should not be overlooked like how, I mean, I'm these days a lot thinking about besides a lot of gear stuff, which is my daily, you know, thing. I also think about how can we make tennis more entertaining for players, for people that don't watch so much tennis, like, or, uh, you know, they're not tennis nerds, but they kind of like tennis. So they watch the slam finals, quarterfinals, maybe. So how can you maintain the interest in tennis after guys like Rafa and Novak quit? Like, I guess Federer's pretty soon will, will leave the, the arena. Same with Serena. So it's like this situation where you have a bit of a, a, a vacuum, a void of these huge stars and legends in the game. So what, how do we keep tennis engaging? You know, I and mean, we, we talked a bit in our preamble about, you know, these fast growing sports like pickleball in the US, the fastest growing sport of all time. I think they build two courts a day in the States. And in, in Europe, we have a similar situation with paddle, which is kind of like squash and tennis combined. Uh, and it seems to be drawing so much attention because people are, easily engaging with it it's almost always doubles and it's easy to start like pickleball is even easier than paddle but paddle is also relatively easy while tennis we always have this quite long and sometimes costly starting stretch where you have to really get into the technique it takes a long time before you can hit a solid top spin shot get the movement down start playing points properly it's fun i think a lot of beginners think it's fun but there's also big risk there but it's too difficult and if you're not in physical good condition, like it's it's going to be tough to to play tennis properly. While these other sports, you don't move as much because the court is much smaller. Uh, so that's something to think about for tennis. Like how do we maintain the interest in our beautiful sport uh, despite maybe not having the star potential of these goats? Because even if new guys come, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Alcaraz is pretty exciting, but but still they they won't be the goats. Like they won't be those three guys. I, that's not really possible. I think. I think, and we shouldn't forget about the quarters of the U.S., <laughs> I just realized. What I was thinking is, is that um, it is a trend, unfortunately, that fewer and fewer people play tennis because it is tough. And, and, and again, I, I can just go back to golf, which I just mentioned, and I don't play golf, unfortunately, but it's, uh, it, both are so technical sports. Like we talked about the yips in, in the last episode as well, and and you know, even for us who's, who've been playing tennis for 30 plus years, we still feel like absolute beginners sometimes when we go on the court and we play someone. And, and the levels also, the levels of tennis is crazy because let's say we, we are pretty good players. Like, you know, when, when someone who, who had never seen a tennis racket before sees us, thinks that we are really close to Rafa and Roger, it looks good on the court. And, and you know what you're doing, you're moving around, you have a, a nice one or two handed backhand, you know, serve looks proper and that sort of thing. But when you go to, to play these different levels, and we touched that in, in before we actually started recording as well, is that, you know, you've got all these, um, all these college players and, you know, all these guys who went to the ITF and, 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 and all those guys. And, and you, just, you just feel like, wow, I mean, they are levels above us. And then you have the pros and we are talking about top 500 and the top 500 players can still cannot get one game from like the top hundred players. 
And then you have the top 100, top 50, and top 10. So it's crazy how many levels of the sports there is, of the sport there is. Mm. And, and I think with that in mind, someone who starts this absolutely ridiculously hard sport, because I think tennis is top three. I, I don't know the numbers. Usually people say golf is the hardest, but definitely tennis. There's so many, so many things. You're, you're running after a yellow fuzzy ball. You have something in your hand, which we know a lot about. You know, if the tension is not right, if, if, the, if the string pattern is not right, if the weight is not right, just the balance is not right, then it's absolutely different. Then you have the balls. The balls are different. So it's crazy. So I think that's why the these sports what you mentioned and it's and it's funny as well that both are booming at the same time like paddle is booming in in europe like absolutely crazy and pickleball is booming in the states and i think what it's a good trend because people are going out they're they're doing something they don't have to move as much they enjoy it a lot quicker and that's great but something has to come up with tennis and i don't think it's it's shortening the point it's more about, um, I don't know, some sort of uh, um, intervention from governments or from organizations which need to be done because there's a trend which is like moving away from tennis. And tennis is still one, if not the most watched sports. Uh, Grand Slam finals, millions of people are tuning in. They're watching it. So I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think, I think something has to be done with this. Yeah, I've been thinking about it because uh, the... Grand Slams are, are doing amazingly well, I think. And, we, and there's no real point in changing anything. I would hate if they reduce the number of sets for the men's tennis. I, I you know, I, that stuff would not be up with me because I really think the five-set format is, is the greatest, creates the most engaging story of a match uh, because you can actually have a comeback after being down two sets to love and stuff like that. So that creates a very exciting drama and physical, you know, challenge for the players. But I think you need in other aspects, if you look at like when you travel around and you go to ATP 250s, I mean, there is a bunch of people there, tennis fans, but I mean, the first rounds in an ATP 250, even ATP 500 on the ground, and I would assume also with the streaming numbers, they're pretty low. So there's something there that you need to do, I think, because from the quarterfinals, things starts getting interesting. But that's not maybe feasible. And that's, I think, why you've seen tournaments struggle over the years with sponsors and with getting enough uh, hype around it because it's like people don't watch those, you know, 100 in the world playing 60 in the world. That's not engaging for people. These are amazing athletes. Like they are, like you said, the levels of tennis. If you play a guy that's 300 in the world, you know how difficult tennis is, like how many layers on this cake there is. You know, it's crazy. But it's hard for a casual observer to see that and understand that. So there's something that, that needs to be done. I think maybe there's a potential in like creating more of a team tennis structure. Like you, you improve maybe, you know, ATP, you know, cup, Davis cup, whatever vehicle you want to use, but you push more the team aspect, maybe with doubles, like in the U S they have the, the team tennis, which has been pretty successful. I think it's easier for people to get behind a team of some kind. And I think it's it can be more engaging. You see that with other sports, when people follow a team, it's pretty cool. So I think tennis could embrace some of that and use more of that power. I think that happened with Labor Cup, that it's like, oh, you know, there's a team, you know, there's a team aspect. I think the players like it. I think the audience likes it. So you can use more of that in tennis. Uh, I think if you, for example, aired Bundesliga matches on the top level 
or you know you had Serie A, whatever Italian tennis, whatever tennis with some good stars, and you really pushed these leagues. I think you'll gain a lot of audience to that. I think you could build something around more team-inspired tennis, and I think players would really like it too. And you could easily, more easily, I think, build money around it. So I think there's something to the team aspect, and we mentioned it before, like to get more doubles more visible because with paddle and with pickleball you play a lot of doubles it's kind of naturally doubles uh, you can play singles but it's more naturally doubles and i think tennis is kind of missing an opportunity not pushing doubles a bit more but the best way to do that would be in a team format because in davis cup uh historically the doubles match really pays uh, it plays a big role right so in a team situation you have that doubles match being very important and then suddenly that becomes more on people's radar they might want to play more doubles we talk more about doubles it becomes more a natural part of tennis uh, and it's more social obviously because if you have players like you know old guys or young guys or young girls or whatever uh, it's a social activity because you're four people now you're you're talking you have a teammate you can you know meet up after have a few beers whatever you create a more social engagement with tennis sometimes it just feels quite lonely you're one guy on the court and you have one opponent and that's it. You play a match and then you go home, whatever. So I think that's something to be said. It was a long rant, but I think it's something to think about for tennis as a sport. I don't think it was a rant. I think, I think these are, these are absolutely fine thoughts. And, you know, for, again, we can just go back to that one that we are tennis nerds and, 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 and we just love our sport and we just want it to, to just remain what it is. Uh, two things which which just came which just popped into my mind. One was uh, the Battle of uh, of the Brits, which I think was a was actually a pretty good um, uh, start to to get all the British players. And you know the whole thing started in in lockdown, and uh, and they just uh, you know they they practiced together like Andy could hit with uh, Raducanu, and that that was that was a really really good proposition. I think I think that that was something which which could be really focused on. And, you know, I've been playing uh, team championships since I was like 19, I think. And, and the, the best thing is when you're just not fighting for yourself. Um, I think it's good in many ways that tennis is, is a single sport. And, and, you know, when coaching wasn't around until like a month ago, you, you had to figure it out what was going on. But I think you know as as you as you mentioned the bundesliga as you mentioned italian tennis which i think i, I mean I, I wanted to mention it because i think the transformation of italian tennis is absolutely ridiculous in a good way because if you remember like 10 years ago there was no one like simone bolelli and and you know all these guys who who were like journeymen and and they didn't matter to be fair i mean like all, all due respect so you know, obviously i don't want don't want to uh, say bad things about it cuz about them cuz they were they were great players and Bolelli still uh, pairing up with Fanini and they're they're a good proper doubles pairing but yeah I think I think doubles should be covered more if they would figure it out how to to get people engaged into doubles and to to get uh, people engaged into doubles tv coverage it would be really beneficial because it's it's so quick it's it's such a spectacle you know the format is obviously a lot better with the no ad and and you know receivers choice and all that when obviously the grand slams are on and and they are playing really nice matches like you know Cabal Farah and and Marcelo Melo and obviously you know we have uh, Salisbury and and all those guys just to, just to name a few I would definitely put a lot more spectacle on them and and a lot more focus on doubles because because it's it's sort of like uh, 
if the singles players just want to warm up, they, they go and play doubles. But apart from that, they don't really care. No, it's true. And I also think if you look at recent, for example, Australian Open, you had a first round matchup in the US Open to relate back to that um, Kokinakis and Kyrgios. They drew crazy crowds. Like there was just a huge thing, partly because they're both extremely, you know, extroverted and they, they engage the crowd, especially Nick is amazing at engaging the crowd and engaging with the crowd. Obviously, he pisses off his opponents, but that's also a fun part. Like you get that that more contrast of, of the two teams and you have this kind of the, the crowd is rooting for one team. And, and I think it creates a lot of uh, potential, you know, excitement and engagement and, and entertainment. So definitely when you see the best players play, I think it also puts a bit more spotlight on doubles. Like you mentioned Fognini and Bolelli, they, they're a pretty good team. They play a lot. It's also nice when the same guys play a lot. I like that. I think they should focus more on that if they can. I mean, sometimes they have to change partners, but it's nice when you have two guys that are kind of always playing. Like, I mean, the best pairs usually stick to each other because it's so important to communicate well with your partner in doubles. So definitely, yeah. And, and I'm thinking some kind of team format to build it up, but also push the, the doubles into slams. Because the slams is the vehicle for tennis. That's when people watch tennis on TV, on streams. People who don't really are not that into tennis, they watch TV. So the slams are the main selling vehicle for tennis. You know, that's that's where we need to focus on getting the most engagement and interest so we can then have more players coming into tennis, whether it's watching or playing uh, from the slams. That's four opportunities a year. And that's the most important, I think, to you to use those. Before we get into the US Open draw, and uh, it's always fun to go into tangents, but you were mentioning something that didn't even cross my mind, and that's that the Challenger Tour, at the moment where everybody is trying to qualify to the US Open or actually play in the US Open, has a pretty low level. I haven't seen this. So what's going on on the Challenger Tour? So yeah, I uh, I have a guy who I, I um, wanted to sponsor, uh, and I was playing with his father in Hungary, uh, called... Uh, um Fabian Morojan uh, who's who's a great player look he he he's he's tall he's uh he's slick so he's the prototypical new player like you know Zverev and Tsitsipas as we talked about in the in the last episode before this week he was 239 in the world and he was number second seed in um Bosnia where there's um where there's a challenger and if you think about it that sometimes challengers can can have like uh, number 80 in the world. There is Greek Spore, uh, Talon Greek Spore, who, who won six or seven challengers last year. And he, when he won the last one, he was number 65 in the world or something like that. So what I wanted to talk about is this is the moment to shine for the challenger player, players. Because obviously the top 200 are in the U.S. at the moment trying to, uh, to qualify for the Grand Slam, which is the right thing to do. But if you look back on or just, just take a step back and, and you, you look at the draws in the challengers this week, you know, if, if we grab a racket, we could possibly still uh, get it. <laughs> and then it's bad. Then it's bad. Obviously, joking, but you know it's it's a great opportunity. Tennis is tough, as we talked about, and also these guys they don't really get a lot of opportunities to get to the real money. So, you know, everyone is talking about it that obviously, oh, tennis players they earn a fortune, but they don't. They really don't. Only the top fifty make a really good living, and the top top hundred 
is okay. But, you know, anyone else on top of the top 100, so top 100 to top 150, 200, are just getting by. And this is their chance of the lower ranked players to get to a challenger and, and try to make it. Fabi is, is actually in, um, in, the, in the final. He's playing Jumor. Oh, wow. Jumor and, and it's on clay. So, you know, that's, that's most of the Hungarians' uh, preferred surface. So, yeah, all, all the best to him. Hopefully we will hear more about uh, him soon because um, I was mentioning uh, my, my guy, Jean-Bort Piroz, who, who lost in the first round against uh, Dal Bonis in, in the qualies. Because I checked, like, so people don't really know how the prize money is compared to, like, in the US yes. Open, if you qualify, you get 80,000 euros or something like that, even if you lose the first round. Is it like that? 80,000 $80, dollars. It's not dollars, but, but it's, that's not too, not, it's like sixty-five thousand or something like that in Europe. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's, it's a pretty good chunk of prize money, and that can make or break a year for some players because, uh, as you said, you, there's not as much money for players ranked lower than like the top hundred. You know, or you know, that's not that easy to make money. And if you win a challenger this week, I'm just picked one. I took the one in Banja Luka. Uh, that's you get. We get six thousand euros if you win the challenger. You need to play some amazing tennis and be a very very good athlete and professional tennis player and you get six thousand euros for winning this challenger and that's covering not many months of travel and the racket stringing and whatever you need uh, so tennis is quite an expensive activity so yeah that's uh, pretty remarkable that the, the price money is such a stark contrast to the atp tour when you look at the challenger and, and futures and look i, I get it because obviously the the sponsorship uh, value of these guys are pretty low when i was working for had they they basically needed someone to be in the top 500 to to get them pro stock um rackets so like you know proper uh built up racket for for the pros if you think about it like how many guys to had once and had is sponsoring, but you know we can talk about Wilson, we can talk about Technifiber, we can talk about all the big brands, Yonex, and so forth and so on. And I know that you know the the, the players associ association and all those guys, they do want to change it, and I'm up for a change because it's great that you know the the best of the best are earning a fortune. But you know, for example, challengers and for example, two fifties. And even the 500s, if you win a 500, yeah, you will possibly get into the top 100 and, and you, can, you can make it. But the draw is just packed everywhere. You have so many good players. It's unreal. Like, you know, all, the only thing is like uh, beginning of the year in India or something, you can get like a, a not as good of a, an ATP or Winston Salem this week where Manorino won. Mr. 11.5 kilos. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's Mr. Low Tension. Or, I mean, there are other players like Kukushkin and play very low tensions, but but yeah. he, he became my kind of poster boy because I, I met him and, and saw him actually use... Yeah, and, that's, that's and the two guys right. who I know. And Sock, I think that's that's the three, right? Uh, Sock, yeah, but Kukushkin yeah, he's still, and... like, comparatively, he's 35 pounds, which is which is relatively high for these for these guys, which is crazy, you know? They're 35 pounds, I, I you know, it's not easy to use. But for a guy who hits like Sock, yeah, you can yeah, I don't even know how they do it. Just to wrap it up, I'm up for a change in tennis in general, and I'm up for a change in terms of the price money as well, because, you know, something has to be done. And that might be a way in for tennis players, for, for the younger generation. If Because, you know, at the moment, I'm not advising anyone to be a tennis player because it's so, so tough. You need so much money. You need sponsors. You need, 
you need a whole team behind you to make it. Even from an early age, like, you know, four, 12, 14, 13, 14, you have to, you have to have proper investment uh, in you to or in in the kids to just make it so I'm I'm up for a change and and I think if if anyone in um, in the ATP or the ITF hears this podcast please please just just look into the the opportunities on what can be changed because uh, tennis is losing a lot of souls and and that's just not good for the sport no, I agree I think the the price money situation I mean they were they're starting to address it a bit during COVID because players couldn't make any money but this is a more systemic issue that you need to look into how you deal with and I, I i said this about team competition i think if you create like a european league or whatever you create some more engaging format that allows players in top 500 at least to be making some decent money because they play for a team they get sponsors the team can play the pay the players decently like in football i mean obviously not these kind of sums but at least a decent sum i think that creates... i just love this idea I really do love this. I idea, think it creates so. a better situation for the players. It also creates something you can follow along, uh, with not just being this like you have to travel to different uh, ATP 250s or challenges every week. I mean, the, the life of a tennis player uh, for for the top is quite glamorous, staying in five star hotels and, and and you know all the attention being on them. And obviously, it's tough when you actually play, but traveling on the lower ranks of the tour, it's a tough grind. You need to love tennis. Like if you don't love tennis and love the competition, it's a lonely and tough grind because that, that loss in the last round of qualis to a tournament, it's not a fun, fun situation mentally. So I think something needs to be done and some smart heads need to come together and find a way to, to generate more interest and more money for uh, the pro players because you put in so much effort to reach top 500 and you're still struggling like uh, compared to football or whatever you know you can make money playing for your division one team in your home country which doesn't have to be a big country so it's, yeah, it's a different different situation all right so i think we solved tennis now we can uh, get a nice salary <laughs> from the atp and <laughs> that's what i wanted to say we're absolutely up for it so if if you if you want some special advisors here we are <laughs> yeah exactly no no but it, it's i think it's smart also from the atp people to listen to various different sources i'm not saying us generally or people have podcasts but more like you know listen to business people or people from outside tennis a bit get some perspectives on the sport and not just politicians you know because these pro politicians they live in uh, their own little bubble uh, that is not usually real life so i sometimes good to listen to other people and fans and stuff like that all right uh good tangents i think good uh, good discussion but we can look at the first quarter of the men's singles US Open draw and we have Medvedev and if I'm counting the seeds there is quite a tough quarter of the draw you have Tsitsipas, Medvedev, or Yassim, Kareni Busta, Bautista Gut, Kyrgios, Basilash it's a tough draw yeah it's a really oh, tough yeah. first, oh, first yeah. this quarter is, this is packed this yeah is this packed. is a packed one uh so so what do you think like do you see any possible upsets we have some Popcorn matches, which is an expression for uh, exciting matches to watch in the first round, uh, which kicks off on Monday. Team versus Karina Busta, which is a crazy first round match for a slam. What do you think of Dominic? Can he can he play well at the US Open? I mean, he's been performing better now. In the okay, I'll, I'll I'll be I'll be honest. I don't think he'll be Karina Busta. I love I love Dominic. Like what he did is Musteresque, and and he's coming back. And I didn't actually think that he could come back, but he's still not a force. 
And Karenu Busta is playing one of his best tennis. Like how he beat uh, Bertini in uh, Montreal was out of this world. Like the guys, um, the pundits uh, who were uh, commentating the match, they were saying that like if Karenu Busta is keeping this up, he, he can win the tournament. And it was the first round and he won it. So I, I, I just somehow don't, don't see Domi getting this uh, because Karenu Busta is, and, and Bautista Agu, they're both like stability personified. Yeah, they are not going to miss, and and Domi doesn't have the natural power yet, is what he used to have. Like you know, he had. I think he he actually had one of the best serves in the game. Like his uh, his kicker out wide on on the outside was was literally the same as as Alcaraz is using it really really well. I don't see an upset, and I would call uh, Domi an upset if he would he would pull it off. Uh, for me, it's Medvedev uh, through and through, although. He will be facing Nick in the fourth round. Yeah, that's a and possible. I think he um, will be facing him. Yeah, I think Nick will beat Kokinakis. I, I mean, something that surprised me with uh, Kokinakis is that, you know, a- after his run in the Australia swing, you know, he was winning a tournament. He played really well. He looked like he was back from all these injuries. Some players, when they come back from injuries, they they struggle a long time. Like we talked about, team, he struggled for quite a while before. Now he's putting some matches together, which is. Nice to see. I'm also a fan of team. But I think Kokinakis have, we have not really seen his potential or at least imagined potential after the Australian swing. I don't think he's played that well. I'm not sure if he's struggling with some other injury, but but I don't see him as any big risk for, uh, for Nick, for example. So that shows the level of tennis again, that here's this guy who has everything. Like he is, he has a big serve proper forehand, proper backhand, moves well around the court, has good volleys, as we could see, you know, because they, they obviously won the, the, um, the Aussie Open uh, doubles. And he still cannot make it. He had some good results. So, you know, we, he could be quite proud of his year. He's, uh, what's his ranking at the moment? Let me check. He is 70 hmm. uh, and 23 in doubles. So, you know, when when you consider that he, his injuries were were really gruesome, so you know, it, it, like he he couldn't he couldn't hold a racket for like years. But the question appears: Is he capable of more? Can he do more, or is that it? Like he will be, you know, top fifty, maybe top thirty. He he can be there, but but does he have enough to 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 actually break that barrier? And that that is that is not something which we'll see this U.S. because I think Nick will slaughter him and three that's that's my prediction yeah I, i'm on, i'm uh, with you on that one then we have an interesting question mark i think maybe jj wolf can beat bautista good i mean bautista good is one of those players you don't maybe watch for the beauty of his style or whatever but he's ultra efficient like you said with the about the spaniards carreño and and bautista they they don't miss like they they are so consistent they really game well uh and he's a bit like a djokovic light in a way bautista good yeah, but I think maybe JJ Wolf, like he's a pretty explosive player, a bit of a funky guy playing at home. Maybe he can get him out of his comfort zone. I don't know. I, it's a potential upset for me. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I think I think Wolf is is a really good player to watch. I mean, I, I cannot get enough of his uh, left-handed uh, pass. What he what he pulled off. I don't know if you've seen it. That was absolutely crazy. He just does it like uh, for fun. And obviously, he's a he's a right-handed guy who who hits uh, with his left hand. Although we have to say that all most of these guys they do practice with their left hand because it actually helps with the double-handed backhand. I don't think he can beat Bautista Agut, 
but he can definitely give him a good match. But before we go on, I wanted to say that it might be a pop court second round as well with Umber against uh, Kyrgios. Quite a nice match uh, in Down Under. I think it was two years ago uh, yeah. where Umber had, I think, three or four match points or something crazy and, and Nick somehow pulled this off. So that is something to, to look out for. Yeah, I haven't seen much of Umber this year, but uh, I, I know when he's at his best, he can really play well. You know, he's a very dangerous player in general. Uh, we have a fun matchup, Gaston versus Bublik as well. That's uh, something to to maybe watch, depending on the mood of Bublik. He's also like curious in many ways. Fun guy, like a humorous guy. And Gaston being very, very short, but tricksy. I would say Bublik though on a hard court, so it's not that uh, maybe yeah. that open-ended, that match. There's going to uh, be a lot of drop shots on that match. A lot of drop lot shots, of always. Drop shots. Yeah, <laughs> both players playing a lot of drop shots. I like to be entertained when I watch tennis. I watch so much tennis in my life. That like some really sluggish matches with players that don't excite me, I rather do something else. Like to be fair, I mean I don't enjoy watching two pretty boring baseliners play, uh, although it could be an interesting match. But I, I like some some exciting stuff. I think Jack Draper is a pretty exciting player. It's a good match. Rusovori. Rusovori is a very good player. Maybe not the guy yeah, that center excites light. me. I just call him Center Light because I think yeah, he, yeah, yeah. he's literally the same in every in every aspect with even his uh, speed pros. <laughs> Exactly, funny. yeah, yeah. So they, they can generate crazy power from the back. And Draper has been playing really well. What do you think? He has a chance against Rusovori? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Draper yeah, yeah. Is, is, is making waves. Draper, I think, is exciting. I don't know what his potential is in general, like what his, uh, his top can be. Um, because technically, he could use some, some stability, but... And maybe natural power in in many ways, but you know he's a lefty, great serve, and and anything can happen with him. I think he he can even you know break into the top ten, top top twenty, whatever. So it could be he could be a really really good player. Yeah. So the seeds seem to go through your buddy Marton Fuksovic. He's playing Kresi, so that's a tough first round. Can you take that one? It's it will be nah, a rough. Not one. at the moment. I mean, I, I hope so, and and I'm and I'm rooting for him, even even though his um yeah his uh, last year has been uh, in shambles. Uh, personal opinion, and I and I wanna and I wanna talk about it because obviously I've been following Fuchovic for quite a bit now, and um, you know even from I, I met him quite a few times, and and you know we we spoke not in depth, but you know we went out last year to. Uh, to to win uh, to uh, to root for him. Personal opinion is that he had a chance to become a Hukach or um, or a Nori because he was on the same level as those guys, and and he just somehow didn't click. He he played it safe, like you know he has a lot of sponsors in Hungary, and and he's one of the most well known faces in Hungary as a sports person, and and he became uh, you know the the um, uh, sports personality of the year and all that. Ah, I didn't know that. Yeah, he, interesting. Yeah, yeah. He's a sort of a small star in Hungary. Like, you know, obviously we, we didn't have a tennis player in the top 50 for, I don't know, 20 years, 30 mm -hmm. years. So when, when he came along, everyone was like, wow, who is this guy? Where did he come from? Obviously he won uh, Junior Wimbledon. So, so he wasn't, you know, just out of nowhere. What's a shame is that he could have had like Magnus Norman or, you know, all these guys, like crazy, crazy coaches if he would have invested in them. And I think that could have made the difference because you talked about it in your in your shows as well. Like many times, that Fuchovic is a really exciting player. 
He moves yeah. around unbelievably on the court. He is fit as a fiddle. And, you know, he's he's just a great player. And somehow, somehow, it's it just didn't work out. Now he's 96 in the world. That's uh, down to uh, his uh, amazing last year in Wimbledon. So so that is that is unfortunate for him. He doesn't really like the ATP 250s. He likes the flair. He likes the Grand Slams. He likes to play big matches. And that's not always the thing with these journeyman, these these top 50s. You just have to put the grind in. You just have to put the hours in the gym in. And he does, like, you know, as, as I say, he, he looks he looks lean. But but yeah, I mean, I, I do feel for him and and I and I don't suspect a lot of good things coming up, but fingers crossed he will pull this off. He doesn't have the worst of draws when you're when when you consider that you're 96 in the world, because um, he has Cressy. Then he can play possibly either Nishioka or Davidovich Fokina, which will be definitely five sets. I think it's mm-hmm. it's written in the stars that that match will be five sets, and that is not too bad. And then you have Tsitsipas in the third round, which you never know. Like you know, Tsitsipas can can play lights out, but he can also. But now he has coaching, so maybe he, he will be winning the U.S. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, I mean, for him, it's a, it's a big factor. I, I didn't even think about the, the coaching factor. So they can actually use this now at the U.S. Open. It's not only for yeah, the yeah. smaller events. Okay, very interesting. Yeah. So for the first uh, quarterfinal, quarterfinal one, you would pick Medvedev. That's my pick. I would pick Medvedev even if he meets Nick in the fourth. Who's he's going to play in the quarterfinals? Who's the second guy from this part of the draw? I feel Oje Aliasim can actually. I'm pretty sure that he can. He can pull it off, and and he can get there. Although outside chance is Kareno Busta. How he was playing in Montreal. If he can keep that up, he he will be the other one who plays uh, Medvedev in in the last state. That's that's my. So either either Oje or Felix, or um, or Kareno Busta. Those are the two guys who who I think can pull this off. I would say Aliasim. Medvedev, but I, I would also put Karnibusta there as a danger because uh, he's so solid and consistent and mentally he seems to be in a good spot as well. And then we, we started going into quarter number two. We had Tsitsipas. He's in good form. Seemingly, I mean, I don't know, 100%. He lost the final against George, uh, which was maybe a bit of a surprise. We have old workhorse Andy Murray uh, playing there as well. He's got a tough first round with Francisco Ferundolo, which is uh, I really like watching because he's a very explosive player, lots of power. Um, So I think that's a tough first match. I don't see that happening. I I think you need so much physical strength, five sets, young guy on the rise. It looks tough. I mean, he might pull it off in five sets and then he loses the next match, but it's just very, very tough. I don't think he can beat Serundolo because he has just too much natural power, that guy. I mean, he just came out of nowhere in a way, like the 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 brothers, right? Yeah. Uh, um, and, Juan Manuel um, and them, um, yeah. yeah. One of the best stories of, of last year, I think that they won one tournament a week apart. That was just great. I mean, I, yeah. I think that was just that was just amazing. So yeah, I don't think um, Andy can... And you know what? I wouldn't have gone back to his old frame. I was surprised. Maybe he didn't feel that good, but he lost a lot of power. He's just not explosive enough. Yeah, he is no, moving pretty well around the court, but I would have stayed with his old frame, the new old frame. Yeah. <laughs> so the black. No, no. Uh, for for you guys who are listening who might not be aware, but he was testing a frame, a blacked out, bigger head size, more powerful racket uh, with a similar layup, but so you get similar feel. 
but you know he, he didn't feel confident enough he went back to his old frame which is very very control oriented bracket i have one of his personal frames on my shelf here where i'm where i'm sitting it's so difficult to generate any power uh, really against these guys for him i think so um, i mean you shouldn't look too much at the rackets but sometimes when you're an older guy, you you don't have the same natural fitness or power as some of the other guys. It you need a bit of help from the racket. I think Roger realized that, and that helped him a lot in his career when he moved from his 90 square inch to a 97. So I agree with you. I think he should have have held on and kept that as kind of an, a motivation. Like I I need to learn how to win with this frame. You know, I need to be persistent because you need to take some time into. Uh, into gelling with a new racket but yeah i don't see him winning uh, a guy that i think i see winning is, is berrettini but it's still a question mark like how in what form he is but you know when he plays well he plays amazingly well generally i think he was hit by COVID quite bad because he wasn't really playing that explosive tennis i mean he was beat by Carreno busta who then went on to to win the tournament so it's 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 hard to judge uh how mm -hmm. he's playing but what i really like in berrettini is that he's fearless he is just going for his shots yeah his backhand is is lacking a bit that's why he's not like world number one because his serve and his forehand is just one of the best if not the best yeah um so yeah i think he can even threaten Tsitsipas if he puts his game together and if he if he's solid enough then i would i would possibly go with with berrettini yeah, those those two guys seem the most likely to battle it out on that side of uh, the quarterfinals. Uh, on the other side, it's it's this uh, draw is pretty stacked despite uh, missing Djokovic and and uh, Zverev, for example. But you have Fritz obviously playing the best tennis of his life in 2022, so I think he has great chances if he can keep it up. Another exciting American player who's playing really well, Tommy Paul. I think he's just been very impressive overall. Uh, impressed me at least quite a lot this year. We have Korda, which we talked about before. It's a bit harder to predict where he is, I think. Exciting player I like, uh, Van Rijthoven from, from Netherlands. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's he's great serve, big game. He won, uh, you know, a grass court title in, in Hertogenbosch, beat Medvedev in the final. So he is also exciting. I don't think he might go so far in this draw, but at least an exciting guy. We have Kyle Edmund, you know, has been gone from the game for so long, I think two years or something like that. Uh, with injuries, uh, he has a body that tends to break down, as some do. And then we have Kasper Ruud, who is super consistent, David Ferrer rebirth player, and uh, who can definitely go through any draw, and you don't hardly notice it, but he just goes through the draw like a plow, and he's in the final or whatever. On, on the second side of this, I mean, we had Berrettini and Tsitsipas fighting it out on one side. What do you think of the second side of this quarter? Yeah, uh, the the threshing of Felix by Rude was I I cannot I cannot express what Felix must have felt when when Rude Rude was broken in the first game and then nine games later he was like a sat and three love down Felix mm. um, in Montreal. Uh, so I think Rude found his hardcore game as well, and I think he he can definitely go far. Uh, and by far, I mean last day, even even semis. I I think he has one of the best minds in in the game at the moment. I love Van Rijthoven. I think he is such an exciting player, and he even gave uh, Djokovic a bit of a scare in yep. in Wimbledon. So that that was that was fun, uh, and a lot of Americans in this side, aren't they? So mm. there's Fritz, there's Holt, which um, which is the guy who's uh, who was um, mentioned by Andy Roddick on Twitter. Because uh, he is the son of 
Austin, Tracy Austin. Tracy Austin won the U.S. twice, so that was quite a quite a nice uh, story. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, Tommy Paul, Fritz, you know, those guys can like literally Fritz. If if everything comes together, Fritz has a game to win the U.S. We have to say it. I yeah. think Fritz has a game to win the U.S. Open. This is the most exciting quarter for me. I agree. We also spoke about quarter, and we should have mentioned Vavrinka against Mute which will also be a, a pretty good first round match. Yeah, it's another match to watch for sure. Mute is, is one of those guys, he has the mood of a angry raccoon, but he can, when he's in the mood, play really well. Uh, and, you know, everybody loves Vavrinka, stand the man. Like, he's always fun to watch if he's playing decently well. And he seems to be okay. I mean, he almost beat Murray in uh, the tournaments before, so hopefully he can do a good match. Yeah, my prediction in this would be Berrettini versus Fritz in this quarter. It's very tough. Could see Tommy Paul go through it. Kasper Ruud, uh, you know, is a player I rate really highly. And I did see that match. And it what struck me in that match with uh, Ole Sim and, and Ruud was, I mean, it was painful to watch because you, you, we all know like how when you can't get a stroke in the court, like even despite you're, you're thinking you have good chances, he's playing at home as well uh, in Canada was was rough, and the route couldn't put a foot wrong. But it's also shown some of the issues in Alia Sim's technical game, which being like it's a bit flopsy on the backhand. Sometimes he he miss hits quite a lot. Like he's one of those players that, for his amazing level of of tennis, he hits a lot of like weird miss hits where he frames it because he swings so fast with quite an extreme extreme grip. So, uh, yeah, th- those are my picks. Any thoughts, Berrettini, Fritz? Who do you pick? I would I would pick Fritz from that, but I, I like that. One, one more thing. How is Aljaj Bedene in in um, in the draw? <laughs> I just checked that he's uh, 343 in rankings. I oh. didn't even know if he still played. He's qualified, he's maybe? switching. I don't know. I but when you're 343, you cannot even get to the qualies. It's just strange. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so is there some protective ranking stuff? Maybe I um, think so. There has to be something because otherwise, you know, he's a good player, but he, he he wouldn't. I don't think he would get like a wild card just for his name. He was top 50 for quite a bit, but you know, I yeah, I, could, I could never understand how because he is again one of those guys who's not too much fun to watch. Okay, quarter three. Uh, it's a stacked one, but this one is not quite as stacked as the previous. We have Hurkac. He should be a threat for sure. Chorich, which is uh, interesting to see how he can back up this Masters win. We have Alcaraz. That's always exciting yeah. now that, yeah. that he's yeah. a big uh, big name. For the Americans, we have Jensen Brooksby. So yeah, it's a Brandon Nakashima. It's a, it's a chunky, chunky draw even this third quarter. So if we look at the different matchups, did we have any popcorn? We had Goffin, Musetti. That's a popcorn yeah. match. Goffin, how is he doing these days? Like he he was top ten, and now he's been a little bit in the dark for a while. Yeah, but he he was injured. I I don't know if you remember, but he the first injury, which was pretty visible, was when he fell over in uh, one of the stuff which they cover the courts in. Yeah, French and, Open. Yeah. And, yeah, 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 and and he. He injured himself there, and then he just came back. He has an explosive game when when he, I mean, he hits the ball immaculately. So his technique is great. I mean, even for for his stature, he's just like a, a really slim, not too big guy in in terms of like height either. And and he hits a big serve. 
And I and I do think he will be uh, Musetti. Unfortunately, I'm I'm all for Musetti. I've seen Musetti when he was 14, and he was something else back then as well. He was using a prestige. It's great to see that, like you know, a 14 year old kid with a one handed backhand is just using. A, uh, it was um, a Junior Davis Cup in in Budapest, and 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 he was the big star. Like you know, everyone everyone was talking about Musetti. Um, and and I think he's he's um, starting to live up for his name now. He's top thirty, and he won Hamburg, so so it's good. But he still couldn't really find his hardcore game, so I don't think he will be a threat for anyone in this uh, in this quarter, let alone Goffin. Yeah, I like the flamboyance uh, also with, for example, Shapovalov. But they, they are so flamboyant that they self-destruct. Like the, the the they shank some balls or they just overhit on some shots where they shouldn't overhit. It's that self-restraint is not quite there. It's it's all it's all a show and exciting to watch, but it, it's sometimes painful as well because you see the that the talent is there, but then kind of channeling that talent into actually winning tennis matches cannot. It's not always the easiest, you know, so I agree that he might lose that match. Just looking at the draw, I think Hurkacz will uh, will definitely get to at least the fourth round. Yeah. Um, he has um, Query, possibly, or Ivashka. That's a, that's a five-setter, I think. Uh, then then he has either uh, Goffin, Massetti, or Manorino. You know, I think it will be Goffin who will be possibly playing Hurkacz. Although when we when we know that uh, Winston Salem was won by Manorino, he's in a good form, and and I think he. But usually, what happens is that he wins the tournament, and then he loses to uh, to this guy Brewer, Bro, Brewer, Brower. Yeah, yeah, he's he's not a bad player, that guy either. The qualifier actually yeah. can, can be a challenge. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think that's that's an interesting one. Although about this quarter, the new Djokovic uh, Nadal rivalry, which is the sinner. Alcaraz rivalry might end up in the quarters here. What do you think of Sinner's transformation? Because I think he's he's a lot better to watch nowadays than what, what he was a year ago. Because a year ago he was just a robot. I was really impressed when I saw him in, at Wimbledon. Like he something had like clicked for him in his game. Maybe like some work with the coach. Maybe just some maturing. Maybe some physical work. Although he's not like the the bulkiest guy ever. Uh, but yeah, he, his game is is a bit more. Varied, he plays smarter. I think he plays more tactically, but he still uses the power. So he can then use his strategy and the power. Before it was just power. So he just hits left, right, left, right, left. It didn't look like he had a huge plan, but he could just generate power from backhand, forehand. But now he's he's added an element of strategy, which makes him super dangerous. And if he can keep improving and developing, what I like with Sinner compared to some of these other guys is that he seems to have a very level head. Like he seems to be very mentally ready to compete mentally strong calm he doesn't show anything he doesn't go bananas like some of the other players so yeah I, I, he has very good chances and I, I would pick him to go through this uh to the quarterfinal here where i would pick him to play alcaraz because it, in the rest of the, the the draw is not super tough for these guys uh chorich can be a threat but i still i mean I, I sometimes these masters titles we talked about it before in the other podcast that winning just before a slam can sometimes only mean that you're you've kind of empty tank or you're you're just you have too much pressure internal pressure external pressure more people are actually watching you now like chorich before the he entered and won the masters he was came out of nowhere like people were not thinking about him at all like oh where's this guy he been you know i have no idea who could play so well or serve so well and suddenly now he's like oh this guy won a masters he has a lot of pressure on him so i think this will will 
can backfire. He might take its Sinner and Alcaraz from this draw. I like watching Dan Evans. That's just a side note because he slices a lot and uh, has an interesting different style game. And he's a very good competitor, but still tough to see him go to a quarterfinal in a slam at this point. You know that he doesn't use a base grip. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, he, he just uh, he has some molded molded handle from from Wilson, uh, exactly to the shape of his hand. It seems like, and then he he just puts on like one over grip. I have to talk about this. This what, what I just found. If if someone really likes pronunciation of French names, Enzo Cuco played Joffrey Blancano mm-hmm. in the last round of qualifying, and now uh, Cuco won. And he's playing Chorich, I think. Yeah, exactly. Enzo. Uh, and I think that's that's also a, a pretty interesting draw that you know the French are are coming through, not in in the same sort of vein as as what it was with uh, Monfils and Gasquet and all those guys like Tsonga. But you know, nice nice little um, uh, core of um, of players like um, Bonzi. You know, Quanton Hollis is playing Rindernak. Uh, what what's also I think a, a fairly interesting uh, pairing, but that's the the top drop, the so, yeah. top quarter. So so don't worry about it. I I really think Alcaraz can find a way against Sinner here. So I I would go Alcaraz. I think he is really upset of that Sinner just beat him in the last uh, two um, encounters. What they had, so I think it will be Alcaraz. And you know, we we weren't really saying much about Alcaraz. He can be a sleeper this this uh, this US because uh, he he obviously has the game. Everyone knows he has the game. It's just more about if he can actually believe that he can win uh, after all those Masters. He's he won three Masters this year, I think. So that's that's pretty impressive. He definitely has the game to go all the way. And, yeah. and my my bet would be Alcaraz from this quarter. Yep, I agree. Big Alcaraz believer. I really love his game. I think he has a lot of confidence for a young guy. He seems very, you know, pretty calm, cool, and collected. He exudes more positivity than some other players. Like if you have players like Zverev or Curios, whatever, they they have always this negative tilt. You know, they when they go when things start going against them, they behave like brats. And uh, guys like Sinner and Alcaraz, they don't have that. They just keep focusing on their game. And although I like watching someone have a mental breakdown on the sports setting uh, i still think it's easier to win matches when you don't so um I, yeah. I think that's a positive tilt on those guys and i'm really impressed that you can keep that mindset and level head so let's put those in the quarter uh quarterfinal three quarter four we have a famous person by the name of rafael nadal but then we have some other interesting matches we have uh, holger rune who uh, is a very big talent obviously but a bit more unpredictable than alcaraz for example so he has a head of nick <laughs> yeah, he's a bit more of a of a loose cannon, though. He's he's a friendly guy on on social. Like I, I've asked him about his rackets a bunch of times, but uh, he he is a little bit more of a of um of an temperament. But yeah, he's a young guy, so he would probably get it together at some point. Uh, we have a guy that nobody likes to watch, but who knows how to win tennis matches, Cameron Nori. You know what? I don't mind him. I really don't. I think I think he's he. You know what? He, with his short swings. It's quite interesting what he does, but he generates so much power with these short swings. And it's just out of this world that with his frame as well, how can he do it? No, I was joking. I mean, I don't mind watching him either. <laughs> I, I also like that he he plays, he uses his strengths, he maximizes, like he's a maximizer. Yeah. You, you you look at his yeah. game, you say, ah, what, what does this guy have? He's top 50 in the world at best. 
and he's playing like a top 10 and he's the confidence of a top 10. I think he even believes he can be top number like one uh, because he just figures out how to beat people, you know? And, and I think a lot of players struggle with this very flat, scoopy backhand and then a very loopy topspin forehand. So they get a different ball all the time and he uses that to his advantage. He gives them a different shot all the time to, to uh, tackle. So yeah, very smart player and always dangerous. Uh, yeah, you can't really count him out of anything, you know? And Benoit Per is not a player you can count <laughs> for anything. So I think that's an easy first round for him, actually. I don't see... I, I think a few records will be broken on that match. I somehow see, and it's not going to be Nori's old, old pure controls. It's it's going to be Pear's arrow uh, pros. The new, and even the new paint job, he's just going to destroy them. Yeah, yeah, he's not the best advertiser for your brand over rackets. That's that's the problem. He's a threat for sure, Cameron. And Chapovalov, very big question mark on his form, I think. He's playing this Hustler guy, Hustler, or how you pronounce it. He's quite good, this guy, no? He's, he's yeah, easy. I think he played the finals uh, or the semis, sorry, the semis in Winston-Salem. I think it was Hustler, I think, who played it. But let me just double check because, uh, yes, as a qualifier, he played the semis uh, against uh, Jure, mm-hmm. uh, Laszlo Jure. I mean, Chapovalov, look. I think he's one of the cleanest ball strikers. When he's on form, he is literally the best guy to watch. I mean, his backhand is like his swing is literally like behind his ear when mm. he just like, you know, follows it through. So it's it's great. I, I love Dennis. If he would get a coach like uh, Magnus Norman was uh, for Vavrinka, I'm pretty sure he can have a pretty similar uh, career. So I think he can win slams. He has the same instincts and and same natural power as Vavrinka. So I, I always compare him to Vavrinka. And I think he he cannot win 10, but he can definitely win a win a few when when all the, the you know the goats are retiring. I mean that's that's my belief. I, I believe so too. I think sometimes uh you you cannot underestimate how much a coach can do with a player, the right coach. And I think in his case if he gets his team together and he gets into a very good mental state, or if he can stabilize that through a coach, perhaps, I think he's, yeah, potentially is ultra high, as we know. I mean, this guy beat Rafa when he was very, very young and, and he has shown that he can play on the highest level. He just needs to put it together. And sometimes you need a, an external resource like a coach to do it, you know? So uh, let's see what he can do. I, I, it's hard to say with his racket changing. Now it's been a bit, it's not the best sign that you keep changing Testing new setups. He's been doing that for a few months now. And he's with the new V-Core now in the 95 now that's not released. So we'll see. Maybe he can find his game. Uh, big question mark for me. I, I have no idea really how to rate him at this point. Uh, another guy that's hard for me to rate, I would say, is Rublev. He's playing Jere now first round, so it should be an easy win. But Rublev seems to have this ceiling as soon as he plays someone who is at the top, top. You know, is a little bit above him as a player. That seems to be where he just hits the the roof of his potential. Fairly easy to to point out the weakness of Rublev, and I and I haven't actually thought about it until it was pointed out to me that his second serve is one of the weakest in in the top ten, if not the weakest in like the top fifty. He doesn't have a second serve. His second serve is is short. It's it's not really bouncy. It doesn't really go in nice places. So as soon as he plays someone who can match his power. He just loses it because he doesn't have a second serve. And there's also a guy who I don't know if you've heard of. Uh, he's not too old. Verdusco. Yeah. <laughs> he's still there. 38. 
he is turning 39 this year. And it's great. You know, it's, it's great to see him. It's great that he's competing. He is a proper tennis nerd. He is uh, changing his setups uh, mid-match. Yeah, so, uh, I, I know, I know. <laughs> they have to ship him a lot of rackets. His forehand is, is a work of art. Sadly, he seems to choke a bit, like at times when he's playing amazingly well. And he's played some of the best matches you can can find on YouTube if you look at like his Rafa semifinal from Australian Open, like 2009. So this guy has huge potential from his game, but sometimes just let himself down. I think that's the issue. But I, I really like watching him. Explosive power on the forehand. It's always fun to watch. So he, he really has that in spades. It's hard to see him like, as a lucky loser here. He, he lost the third round of qualities. He got in as a lucky loser. Son Wukwon, very good player, uh, South Korean player, very strong. Uh, I think he's going to lose first round to him. I'm, I'm hoping for Verdasco to have a, at least like one match under his belt that would be pretty good. Upset alert, I think Sok will beat Schwartzman. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's not even a, maybe an upset in this case. I was thinking of that <laughs> because Sok at home is getting back to tennis slowly, I would say. He's slowly moving up the rankings, um, now playing US Open at home. Schwartzman can have these first rounds sometimes where he's not really on, then he gets going. It's a bit like Rafa. He needs a few matches and then he starts playing really well and he can threaten anyone pretty much. But I think first round, he's a bit vulnerable like most players. So uh, I, I think Sok there. I don't see Sok reaching the quarterfinals, but uh, I mean, it's fun to watch as well with his whip beforehand power and great touch at the net. Uh, one of those players you, you like watching. The other part of the draw is, I mean, like it looks like looks like Rafa has a pretty good quarter uh, this year. I mean, I would pick Rafa in the quarterfinals, but I don't really have an easy time seeing who's gonna play against him. Maybe Shapo, maybe Nori would be my picks. I mean, Karatsev is not the same player he was during COVID, I would say, or 2021. Yes. He was fueled by COVID. This guy, he was playing amazing tennis, and now he, he just like left a bit. But he's playing Fognini in the first rounds, uh, which is a good <laughs> match, actually, uh, to watch. Always fun to watch Fognini when he's trying. And then we have Kecmanovic, also strong player, can do some damage. Definitely not easy to count him out of anything. Serbian guy, big spin. Tiafo, never easy to place him. I think like he, he's he's fun to watch, but I, I you know it seems to be a bit showmanship, and then like he loses the train of thought to win the match sometimes. I don't know. Two two thoughts about this quarter. One is that um, the um, the most Dunlops are on this quarter because Kitsmanovic and also Popperin um, are playing with Dunlop. As far as I know, I think Popperin is now trying, but he, he cannot buy a win. I think he's he's really changed the uh, quite a drastic racket change. Like he's testing a, a very mu much more powerful racket, which is not a bad change for the way he hits the ball. He has a huge forehand. This guy. I used to own his his uh, actual racket, and it's, it was a sledgehammer. Like his swing weight was crazy for this kind of young player. Like if you compare it to a Fritz swing weight, it would be very different. And I think they have both very good potential on the forehand, especially. So it's a strange choice. We'll see. I think it will take him time. Uh, he's a very talented guy. But it, it will take him time to get into it. I, I don't see him doing anything in this US Open. So for me in this quarter um, is obviously Rafa. I sort of feel Eisner. I just oh, somehow wow. feel like that that will be his swan song, and and he just really wants to show uh, the crowd that he still has this enormous power of of his serves. He gave Tsitsipas a proper match in um, uh, Cincinnati. It was it was a great match to watch, and you know what? I think if if Eisner would have 
would have kept it together in the end. He might have he might have beat Tsitsipas. I mean, he lost in in the final set, six four, I think it was, and he got broken from forty five up. Really not Isner like, but I think he he has a good chance of even get to to Rafa. Uh, from the other side of the quarters. He can possibly beat Nori if he gets a good serving day. I don't really see Shuffle going deep as much as I would hope he would. I think Isner can can beat Delbonis, then can beat Rune, and, uh, or Rune, um, and then, um, you know, Nori comes. So that 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 is an interesting quarter. The other thing what I wanted to talk about is the appearance of the Asian players. The Chinese just made history, and uh, you see Paro Daniel and... And, uh, you know, Tang and uh, Kwon and two Chinese guys who I've written their name up just for us to know. Uh, Zheng and Wu are mm. the two guys who qualified. So that's that's great. And, and you know, that, that shows that maybe as, as we we're talking about the, um, the losing uh, souls of the tennis players, but maybe it's gaining some ground in, um, in the Far East. So that's good. Yeah, I think that's overdue, to be honest. It's fun to see Asia, like Japan, Taipei, and this one, and and a few other countries play in a Grand Slam. So we'll see what that can can do. If we get more professional tennis players from the Middle East, would be also great. I think they are really going into paddle, from what I've heard. Some people that I know work in the paddle industry, they they sell a lot of uh, bats, as they're called, to the Middle East. So, But there's a, a growing interest in racket sports there. Uh, so hopefully tennis could could broaden its viewpoint outside mainly Europe and the US, which has been like for, for many, many, many years. Uh, so it's a good point. Good point. So I, I'm going to go Nadal Nori. You want to go Nadal Isner in this quarter? Yeah, let's go with that. I like that you went for Isner because I, I think he's a guy so mentally strong and he can just show up from nowhere when people have kind of like put him out of their mind and then he's just going through the draw. All right, so that let's put it, let's put Isner as, as our joint choice there because I, I think it's fun to have some upsets. <laughs> if we would look at the, the quarters, we have Medvedev Aliasim in the first quarter. What would you say about that match? Yeah, I think it's easy, Medvedev. Felix can can definitely pull it off, but I think Medvedev has a point to prove for everyone. I, I agree with this. In the second quarter final, we have uh, Berrettini Fritz. I'm going to stand by Fritz now. I, I, I was saying that he, he can go, go all the way and win it. So let's let's go with Fritz. Yep, that would be cool. I think also think so. I mean, from from what I've seen of Berrettina, he has potential to go far, but not all the way. That's my feeling as well. The third quarter, we have Yannick Sinner versus Carlos Alcaraz. It's a big match. Yeah, I, I will go with Carla, Carlitos on this one because I think he, he, again, has a point to prove. Maybe he will lose in the semis, but I think he really wants to beat Yannick. So uh, so I will go Alcaraz. Yeah, and it's good for the rivalry that it's a bit topsy-turvy as well. Like, okay, uh, quarter four, we have Nadal versus Isner. Yeah, I think Rafa will be too strong and too uh, guilty. Yeah, exactly. Then we have an interesting two semifinals. We'll get to the end of this. We have Medvedev playing Fritz. <laughs> I said that Fritz can go all the way. But I think uh, Medvedev might be a bit too tricky for him. We've seen it in Cincinnati as well, that Medvedev just somehow grinded it out, ground it out, and, and he just he just uh, had too, too much flair for, for Fritz. Exactly. And also, you should remember that Medvedev has actually... I mean, he won last year, beating Novak, obviously, and did do really well 2019 as well. So he plays well at the US Open. It's very important to remember that because that plays a big role, I think, in these predictions. Medvedev, a finalist, 
will he play Nadal or Alcaraz? Now that's a good one. Uh, to be fair, when when Alcaraz plays uh, a semi against his idol, okay, I, I will I will go with Nadal. I wanna I wanna see Nadal lifting the trophy, so I will go with Nadal. <laughs> yeah, I actually think uh, Alcaraz might win this one. Uh, that that's that's just a gut feeling. Like if they play a semi final, I think Alcaraz. But then you should never bet against Rafa when it's further down a slam. <laughs> uh, history has shown it over again. Medvedev Nadal. Again, it's it's pretty tough. Uh, Nadal beat Medvedev two years ago. The crowd will cheer for Nadal so loudly that I, I will, as I said, I will go with Nadal all the way now. And like in the Australian Open final. And uh, Medvedev was up uh, two sets to love and he had points for four one up with a double break, I think it was. Exactly. The and then it was like some crazy, I mean, obviously the crowd was was partly involved in, in pushing Nadal and, and, uh, and obviously not helping Medvedev so much. But yeah, it was a crazy comeback. If they this matchup happened again, I think Medvedev would win it. Just just one more thought about the Australian final, because no one actually talked about it. The temperature dropped significantly, and that helped Rafa so much. He was he was sweating absolutely unreal. And then when the temperature dropped, Medvedev pretty much played the same match but Nadal just started flying and and then yeah so yeah I will I will go with Nadal you will go with Medvedev which I think is is the right thing to do do you want to get into the women one thing which which I wanted to talk about is obviously it was confirmed today that the Williams sisters will uh, play the doubles which I cannot wait to see because I think it will be a lot of fun they might lose first round to someone who we never heard of but I think they might they, you know they're they're serving pretty okay and and I think I think they they know each other so well. Obviously, they're sisters. They grew up together and they know everything about each other's games. Yeah, I don't think Serena is going to go very far. But I think like like when you mentioned doubles, it would be a cool story if they won the doubles. Like that would be a, a great end to the the Serena saga and the, the the whole Williams sister saga. That would be very cool. So let's see if they can pull that off. It's not impossible, I would say, in the latest doubles that they could win, but it would be tough. I mean, as we talked about in the previous predictions podcast we talk more generally and with the draw i don't know if you've changed your mind in any way like you you picked triontech to win the title i picked halep uh, i think that's still gonna be my prediction but we have some interesting first matches and i think this one is even more open than the men's like you can argue that they're both open but this one is very open yeah i think two things one is um i i am leaning towards halep when you said Halep, I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. I think Halep has the game to win it. And the other thing is that Osaka can be pretty, pretty tough to be if she beats Collins. If she doesn't beat Collins, then, you know, it's, it's, just, another, it's just another one which bit the dust. But if, if she beats Collins, then, then you know what? Anything can happen with, with Osaka. It's a tough match to face Daniel Collins in the first for Osaka. I think that's a, it's a tough tough draw so it's always like this if you get through the first one two rounds you can start building some confidence uh so yeah i, I will pick osaka in the end but it's going to be a tough one uh can raducano beat alice corne in the first if we talk about the popcorn matches yeah i i think in the first round raducano will have too much power for alice yeah or alice he's a tricky player alice alice that's the, i guess the way you pronounce it and then you had tachana maria versus uh, maria sakari which is another good first round match. Uh, Sakari is one of those players that usually plays better the longer the tournament goes. Uh, very physically fit, strong. 
but can like choke in some weird matches. And third seed here, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think Sakari can. You know, she she is destined to win a Grand Slam, and I think she she will do it sooner or later. She she was just a choker so far, so I'm 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 hoping that she she can pull this off. And and obviously Maria, she doesn't have any natural power, so I think yeah, Sakari will just just beat her. Yeah, more physically strong in that match. Uh, it will be interesting to see how like Coco Goff plays in this tournament. She's obviously one of the hype players. Uh, now she's played pretty well this season, so she should not be underestimated, I think. Overall, if we look at all the players, uh, not too much to say about her draw. I think she has a pretty good good draw, it seems like. Serena, we said like she will win a few rounds, possibly, but not more than that. I guess Kovinic is a tough draw. I mean, she's a very good, like she can play really well uh, when, when I've seen her play, actually. Danka Kovinic. And then it's Tomjanovic, also strong. So yeah, it's, women's draw is full of tough matches. It's very tough to predict. Yeah, less less thing is is that the second round for Shiontek will be pretty pretty tricky with uh, Sloane Stevens. Yeah, that's a that's a tough one. So many good players here. It's it's tough to make any strong predictions. Uh, but you stand by uh, Shiontek, or you're gonna jump on my Halep train? No, I will, I will go with your your Halep prediction. All right, so that's a strong prediction we have. There. That's good. We'll we'll see how she does. But it's it will be fun to follow as it kicks off on Monday. All right, so for the women's event, since we've been talking for a few hours and we're getting a bit tired, sorry, you WTA fans, we, we have to keep it a bit shorter because it, we can get down the rabbit hole in any kind of event, it seems like. That's when you're a tennis nerd, that, that's what happens. Uh, but if we look at them quarter by quarter, we have Tech on the first quarter, and uh, that's we will both push through to will be a quarter finalist. But who will be her partner in crime there will it be Kvitova will it be Mugurusa, Mugurutha Ostapenko Anisimova tough player uh, or Pegula who do you have there uh, out of all these these strong players this is not the toughest quarter I would say yeah but I I think it will be a pretty interesting second round for Anisimova and Kenin because uh, they they're both unbelievable players and and Kenin actually played pretty well as she came back uh, but for me Maybe Ostapenko, I think. Oh wow! Uh, if she can, if she can pull it off, if she can actually like get her game together. Uh, but no, I'll, I will, I will go with Kvitova. I think she was playing really, really well, and I think she found her game. So I think it will be Shiontek against Kvitova here. Then we are aligned because I was going to say Kvitova, but sometimes she lets me down, and I'd be like, "Oh, she's going to reach a <laughs> final, and she loses first round." So it's it's a risky, risky bet. But let's let's go for it. Quarter one, Shiontek, Kvitova. Quarter two, we have Paula Balosa as the fourth seed. And we have Arina Sabalenka on the other side. And then we have Naomi Osaka, who's not seeded, and, but it's a big threat. And then Raducanu as well. So this is a tough one with Asarenka and Pliskova thrown in the mix. Do you have any quarterfinalists on this side that you would like to put forward? No, no, joking. I think I, I do feel uh, Badosa that she can she can get there because I think she was, uh, she although first round, Zarenko isn't the easiest to beat, to be fair. It's a tricky, it's a tricky few rounds for her. So yeah, with Kostyuk and Azarenka, but Azarenka wasn't playing well. So I think it's just, uh, she, she doesn't really want to play here either, I've heard. So uh, yeah, I, I will go with Badosa and from the bottom side, oh my God, we've got Raducanu, we've got Osaka, we've got uh, Venus, obviously not that much of a threat anymore, unfortunately. She, 
I will go with Osaka because I think if she can beat Collins, then she will get to the quarters. That's my that's my gut feeling. Cool. All right. So Badosa Osaka, that could be an interesting quarterfinal. Players like Belinda Bencic and Arina Sabalenka, if they have a if they're in good form, they could also be reaching there. But let's go for the Badosa uh, Osaka. Sounds sounds like a good good quarterfinal on the second uh, quarter. In the third one, we both agree that Halep will go, is in good shape and she will go far. So let's just go for her in the quarterfinals. But she has uh, some tough opponents like uh, Madison Keys, for example, Coco Golf. Uh, on the other part of the quarter, we have Haddad Maya from Brazil playing really well, and a few other. Garcia. Caroline Garcia, yeah, that's 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 probably one. She won a Masters before. I I would pick her probably. You? Yeah, I'll I'll go with uh, Halep and Garcia here. Although Golf will be the proper test, I think, for, for Halep. If um, Goff beats Keys, that's that's the thing. Because uh, I think it will be Keys against uh, Halep. Although Haddad Maya and Andrescu are there both. But I will I will go with uh, with Halep and, and Garcia for this. Yeah, I think we're in alignment uh, what, with some some warning signs then for uh, for like players like Goff. Like that's probably my, my outside pick uh, more than Zachary, for example. But those two players seem to be in great shape. On the fourth quarter, we have uh, people's favorite, I think, judging by playing style. That's Ons Jabor, a strong player, can wreak havoc with a draw. Uh, but hard to say exactly where she is with her game at the moment. We have Leila Fernandez, who did really well last year, reached the final. Uh, Krejcikova, not her surface 100%, but always dangerous. And Kontavet, who's not been recently. No, no, she she wasn't she wasn't really playing well. I think this is this is the weakest uh, quarter um, out of all. So, so I will I will possibly go with Ons Jabour, and uh, because I think she has enough. And Kasatina, in in my liking, I think Kasatina was playing really well, and I think she can actually go maybe even like you know finals. I think. It's a good pick. Uh, so it's it's yeah yeah it's so it's it's possibly Casatina for me Layla as well so I will go Casatina and I will go Fernandez. Good one, good one. I like Casatina as well. I was gonna say. I mean, it's tough with Jabor, but but Casatina uh, seems to be in in a good mental state at the moment. The, the bottom fourth is the toughest to predict. But yeah, you said Fernandez in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean Tomjanovic could be dangerous more than contavate in my opinion but uh, yeah i would say yeah let's do fernandez and see if she can because uh, it's an interesting storyline if she can keep it up from from last year you know she she's also a bit up and down the results it seems like but yeah she was she was injured as well so ah, that, yeah it's a definitely... good point good point uh very good point okay so quarter one uh, let's get it done to the to the t here shiontek versus kvitova Shiontek has just too much instinct for Kvitova. She gets this far, I think she will be very dangerous. Yeah, she already knows the the lighter balls and all that, so I think I think it's a good bat. Yep, and then we have uh, Badosa Osaka. I mean, if it's, if if Osaka is there, then I, I would pick Osaka for that. Same here, actually. That's I made a note of that. Like, if if she gets this, it's uh, some players. It's like if you can just get over the hump, they are suddenly title favorites, like or, or close to being title favorites. Quarter three, Halep Garcia. Yeah, that that will be the highlight match, one because I think like Garcia was playing so well. Uh, but yeah, we we said Halep, so now we have to stay with Halep. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And then Kazatkina Fernandez in quarter four. 
Yeah, I, I, I feel Kasatkina, that I think Kasatkina can actually go to the to the semis. So that's that's my gut feeling. I agree. So I think we're in alignment in a lot of these uh, cases. Uh, so we have Svjontek Osaka in the semi one. That's a tough prediction. That's a very good match. Any oh, yeah. gut feeling? Wow. I mean, if Osaka is there, she won it twice, I think. And Shiontek hasn't won it yet, uh, even even with, with the whole feeling. But I think if Osaka will be there, then I would pick Osaka. Yep, I, I agree. I think she, she will uh, be a finalist if she passes maybe one round one, two. Uh, and then Halep Kasatkina. Halep. There we go. So the finalist is Halep and Osaka. Can Halep beat Osaka at home? Do you think that's possible? Yes. I mean, now, now we, so we predicted, so we, I'm, I'm just going to stand by my Nadal and my, my Halep uh, predictions. But if, if Osaka somehow finds uh, the mental space, then, you know, I wish her to beat Halep and to win it because that would do a lot of good for her, um, for her in general. Uh, but I think, I think Halep is just a more complete player at the moment. I agree. My pick was Halep before and it's, it stays. So I think Halep will win. Usually with predictions like this, you go into great depth. We've done that both on the women's and the men's side. You didn't have as much time with the men, women's uh, draw, but still. And then you end up after two rounds completely being lost. in, in one. <laughs> <laughs> And you, you, you kind of like all your players just went out like uh, very badly. But we'll see what happens. And, and we'll try to to maybe uh, summarize the after week one and see where we are with our predictions. Thanks a lot, Dennis, for, for joining me in this draw breakdown. It usually takes a long time to break down a draw, especially if you're a nerd uh, and you can talk about each individual player and match for ages. And uh, that's always fascinating. Hopefully we can do a summary after week one and see where we are in this Grand Slam four of the year. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thanks for, for this again. It was uh, fun. Will you be watching a lot of um, matches now, starting at five Central European time? I guess that's for your time in the UK. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm up for it. I mean, I'm, I'm not gonna get up because I, I still have, um, as, um, as we haven't mentioned, I've, I've got my dissertation to do, um, which, uh, which is just the last moments uh, of it. But after it, I will be all US Open and uh, watching it every morning. Cool. Yeah, I will try to watch what I can, like what time allows. Sometimes you can work and have it in the background unless you get too distracted. But the, the big matches you obviously want to watch. And if you watch tennis, it's always fun to watch it together. So for you guys out there, like try to go down to the pub or or uh, meet invite some friends. I think it's always more fun when you can watch tennis together. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, man. We'll talk soon. Have a nice end of your Sunday.